Today's program has been brought to you by Many Kitchens, the one-stop shop for all things foodie. Discover the best artisanal foods that America has to offer. Shop for more at manykitchens.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, hey, you're listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network, and we're here in Brooklyn, actually a very sunny, um, unseasonably warm day here, but uh, I've got a really cheesy show today, um, in the best way possible, that is. Um, I actually just uh, came from a little wine and cheese party last night, and it just seems so perfect for any party or especially, you know, your Thanksgiving or other holiday um, get-togethers to have a nice little cheese board to start off the night. And, you know, it's just perfect for this uh, season, this type of weather. So I'm really pleased to have on Sue Conley. She is the co-author of the Cowgirl Cowgirl Creamery Cooks book just out from Chronicle and also the co-founder of Cowgirl Creamery based in Marin County, um, sorry, uh, California. How are you, Sue? Good. Good to have you. So um, I'm really excited about this beautiful book and definitely want to talk about the fascinating story that, um, that uh, led to your starting the Cowgirl Creamery in 1997. But just to back up a little bit, um, talk a little bit about the artisan and farmstead cheese movement in this country as a whole, because it's a fairly new, uh, it's a fairly new movement. Um, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, because it seems to me like the artisan and farmstead cheese um, cheese making uh, growth is a little bit similar to that of American wines and vineyards here. It's it's a European tradition that's taken root in a new land with new terroir and and entrepreneurs like like yourself. Correct. That's true. Um, though dairying is a little messier than winemaking, <laughs> we'll say. Um, okay. So it doesn't have quite the um, romantic appeal. Mm. Um, and it's not a, um, well, maybe it is addictive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> True. I think there are some, um, some things in cheese that make you just want more. Mm. And, uh, but, uh, artisan cheese in the U S is growing and, uh, we do take a lead from, uh, the European, kind of appellations, yeah. traditions, and uh, the, the spirit of terroir. Right, and the craft, too, I bet. Um, so, but it, I was a little surprised that, um, this, that it has been um, just really burgeoning um, in the last, uh, I don't know, few decades because we've had dairy farms, and we have had farms in this country ever since the very beginning. Haven't, haven't farmers been making cheeses all along? Well, there are uh, cheese-making traditions. You know, we have our cheddars from New England, and out here in California we have uh, Vela Dry Jack, you know, the kind of Parmesan substitute. Yeah, I noticed that in a recipe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then 
really, though, uh, we don't have traditions for goat dairying mm. or sheep dairying. And, um, that go back so those are that far. Very new. Okay. Uh, yeah. And I that see. you can trace back to the goat dairies started in the 70s mm-hmm. with um, kind of the back to the land movement. Right. And out here in California, we had Lori Chanel, whose goat, fresh goat cheese was popularized by Chez Panisse, mm. uh, who's still, that's the one. Um, menu item that's always on the menu is the greens with the baked goat cheese. Mm. Uh, but before that, it really, and on the East Coast, there was um, Vermont butter and cheese got it going. And mm-hmm. we also had uh, Humboldt Fog out here, the Cypress Grove goat. Right. So these were um, people who were really, had been to Europe and were exploring agriculture in a new way. And um, right. They started the American Dairy Goat Association, and also uh, the American Cheese Society started in uh, about 30 years ago. In the 70s. Yeah, and that brought people together to I see. So, learn to make better cheese. Right, and it's interesting, though, because we've certainly been eating cheese as a culture this whole time, but this growth of the farmstead and artisan cheese uh, really took off in the 70s. And what what happened in between now? Is it just... Were we were all these farmsteads um, just not making uh, not making f- cheese making uh, feasible for them, and we were yeah, just that's reserving? correct. Yeah, um, we were really moving. You know, the whole industrialization of the food system post right. World War Two. So uh, out in California, uh, Albert Strauss, who we buy our milk from, he started the first certified organic dairy in our state, in the West. And in addition, he started to um, make, he started to bottle milk on the farm. I now, see, okay. You know, before World War II, everybody did that. Everybody did that, right. There, I think there were like 35 uh, dairies that bottled their own milk just <laughs> in the two counties uh, north of San Francisco. Mm-hmm. So he was bringing this back, this... Uh, that was ice. a tradition. Okay. Also, there could be butter making and ice cream making, or what they called grade A dairy products, mm-hmm. made on the farm. Okay, so, like yogurt um, or something. Right. Right. Okay. I, yeah, and it was fascinating to read um, that when you first applied for a permit for a, a, a cheese making business um, in Point Reyes, it was the first time they had received such an such an application in about fifty years Correct. for a new cheese business. Yeah, we had the uh, Marin French Company has been operating for about 100 years nonstop, and they do make very small format uh, French-style, Brie-style cheeses. But mm-hmm. besides them, there was no one else in Marin, and we had about three ongoing cheesemakers in Sonoma County. And if you fast-forward to today, mm-hmm. we have a total of 30. Wow. And most of these new cheesemakers in the last five or six years are on farm right. cheesemakers. They so farmstead, right? Yes, they come from dairy families, and the kids are coming back to the farm. So interesting, because um, you and Peggy um, Smith, who is the co-founder of of the Creamery and also the co-author of this book, um, came to it from a culinary background rather than agricultural. Um, Correct. So that's that's quite different from from the earliest, I guess, cheesemakers who were, I guess, farmers. 
Yeah, and I think that it, it was it's an important link. Yeah. You know, we have this connection to the consumer, you know, both in uh, retail and restaurants that the ranchers, even though they they work 60 miles from the center of San Francisco, mm-hmm. I mean, many of them we brought to the city for the, you know, it was like their second or third trip. Into mm-hmm. town. <laughs> so <laughs> how could they know what the demand is for, uh, you know, delicious cheese and butter right. and yogurt? Uh. Fascinating. And and I was really um I was really surprised when I read that uh it took you about three years after applying for that permit to actually open Cowgirl Creamery because there was a lot of protestations of, of folks who were against growth in this farmland in, in the Marin County. Tell me a little well, bit about that. Well, uh we are at the entrance to a national seashore, the Point Reyes National uh, Seashore, mm-hmm. that was founded in the 70s. And uh, so it protected this magnificent wild land. It also protected ranches that had been operating since the gold rush days. And, so and that dairy. was part of, they became part mm-hmm. of the park and uh, continue to uh, produce milk and uh, beef out on these beautiful pastures. So, um, the fear for the townspeople was that too many tourists would come. Oh, okay. I see. Okay. So, that, <laughs> yeah, that was the threat. Uh, and uh, so... Because at the same time, you're, you're starting this creamery to, to, to uh, help revive the tradition, but also um, the struggling, you know, small family dairy farms in the region to, to support them and buy milk from Correct. So initially that was really, it was a bit of a conflict, but Mm -hmm. honestly, over time, you know, those same people who protested our our little business downtown Mm -hmm. are our best customers and are the, they're so proud to have food made from the place that they live. Wow. Well, a correct... I think you might call it courageous cowgirl creamery too. Because, well done, thank you. I mean, it's 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 a wonderful addition to you know the the, the culinary landscape and also helping revive all these. You know, there's all these new artisan uh, cheesemakers today. So um, much respect. Um, but uh, what exactly is artisan too? Like what I know that farmstead means it's made on the farm that the cows are raised or the animals, the goats, and so forth. Um, artisan is a little tricky for trickier for me to pinpoint. Is it has to do with quantity and scale? So, yeah, there's so not a, a definition. I mean, we do uh, look at scale, uh-huh. and we also look at batch size. Okay. You no, know, because uh, the word can easily be um, uh, manipulated. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But and we also look at milk source. So, uh, for instance, the cheeses we make, each one has a specific milk source. So mm. we work with three different organic dairies now, and one is 100% Jersey, one is mm. uh, mostly Jersey with Holstein, that's the mm-hmm. straw milk, and then uh, a third dairy that's 100% Holstein. So that mm. each one uh, works better in certain cheese styles. So... Uh, we like to define artisan, you know, that the the cheesemaker is working with milk from specific farms. Okay. And not, um, not. I mean, sometimes it is blended milk, 
Mm-hmm. But um, but it makes a difference in taste in your outcome. Yeah. yeah. So at uh, least we 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 need to know where that milk's coming from. It's not just you know a commodity blend. Right. So, so yeah, to control your product too. Um, yeah. So. Uh, Help me out here. Um, so now that I know, you know, a little bit more about artisan and small scale, and um, and the fact that it's this, um, you know, kind of a growing uh, movement, which is a very exciting and encouraging um, uh, phenomenon happening now. Um, when I'm navigating cheeses in a cheese store, sometimes I'll come across um, a similar style of cheese from maybe a similar region. They're both artisan technically but some will have wildly different price tags and it leads me to wonder okay well so what are all the other you know ramifications and and indicate and uh you know is it is that any indicator of a better quality if it's a higher price tag not necessarily but you'll see that um goat milk cheeses tend to be a little more expensive Mm -hmm. than cow milk um and sheep are even higher in price. So uh, that's because those animals don't produce very much milk. So okay. it takes a lot more. Uh, <laughs> They're smaller. <laughs> yeah, they have smaller tanks. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that's one thing that makes it more expensive. Mm-hmm. And then um, European cheeses are subsidized on some level because uh, first they've been doing it for so long that they don't have the kind of startup uh, cost that right. American cheesemakers have. And then they 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 promote their uh, farmers in ways that um, small farmers, hmm. you know, are honored and subsidized, whereas here small producers are almost punished because oh. it's right. uh, such a, an expensive entry cost and mm-hmm. uh, just the... You know, the whole infrastructure of farming here is not in favor of small, small. producers. Interesting. So, yeah. And if it's handmade, you know, the other thing we're trying to do, I mean, I can't speak for other cheesemakers, but um, I know it's part of the ethic that is uh, is is part of our um, community is to pay people well to really turn this into a career mm. profession and not just you know, a unskilled, low wage, low wage job. job. So mm-hmm. that that starts at the milk, paying the farmer what he deserves for his milk, and uh, hoping that they pass that on to their workers, treat okay. their animals well, and then we have professional people all the way through our business from the 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 uh, cheese wrapper all the way through the, to the cheese monger at the yeah. counter. These are skilled people, and they're devoted to this as a career. Well, those so we're are... trying to kind of bring it all up. Yeah. I'm sure there's a million different other reasons, too, but these are some really great clues, and uh, I'm sure you know each individual story is so fascinating on its own, and that's why it's so fun to try different artisan cheeses and learn a little bit more about them uh, when you go to the cheese shop. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit more um, about your book, of course, and, and uh, your wisdom about how to, how to serve cheese. But we're going to have a quick little commercial interlude, and we'll be right back chatting more with Sue Conley. You are listening to Cryin' Blues 
by the California Honey Drops on the Heritage Radio Network.org. kitchens.com you can enjoy decadent caramel brownies hand-picked teas and fair trade coffee oven roasted chicken pot pies and so much more whether you're planning a dinner party sending a gift or just want to try something new and delicious many kitchens offers something for everyone help support small batch producers while you discover the best in artisanal foods from across the nation at manykitchens.com Many Kitchens, the one-stop shop for all things foodie. All right, we're back with Sue Conley, author, co-author of the Cowgirl Creamery Cooks book. And um, just talking about the fascinating story about the rise of, of the business, um, Cowgirl Creamery. And... Um, also, this cookbook talks a lot, since you have a great culinary background, both you and, and Peggy Smith, that is, about how to serve cheese. Um, so help me out here. Um, I know that the French can be a little bit you know, ritualistic about how to serve a proper cheese board or cheese plate. Um, what are some like the go-to or are there any hallmarks or traditions that I should keep in mind when arranging a holiday or any occasion that is a cheese board, do I need to have one of different type or different different uh, goat or you know uh, different animal milk or what's are there any yeah, rules? Um, <laughs> we do talk about that in one of our chapters, uh, different um, ways to think about a cheese course, and it is good good to go into it with a with a certain uh, point of view, as we put it, and. Yeah. One uh, way is to do a regional cheese course, Ooh. and um, that's really fun. Yeah, you know, and it doesn't have to be your own region, but it could be your own mm-hmm. region. Look at the farmers market, see what's going on, and or the local cheese shop. And uh, it is nice to, in that case, if you can find a cheese from all three milk types, mm, that's okay. really fun. Cool. We also make a point that we like to have like three or five on the board. Oh. That seems to be a nice uh, balance with something uh, sweet and something nutty, you know. Sweet, and it can nutty. Be, mm-hmm. You know, some honey or some jam and then uh, walnuts or, or pecans mm. um, on the board. And... Mm-hmm. Um, Another way is to just get uh, three of the same style cheese, like a brie style. Oh, really? In all three milks. Oh, oh, that sounds fun. They, they all look the same, but <laughs> they're dramatically different. And um, Peggy never ever wants me to put a blue cheese on the board, but um, <laughs> I think it's it's okay to do that. She worries that. It's so strong that yeah. if you eat it out of sequence, which at a party, everybody will just be, you know, attacking it from <laughs> every direction. Uh-huh. She's afraid that it, you know, kind of negates the other oh. subtle flavors. So she always puts a, if she's going to serve a blue, she'll put it on a different plate uh-huh. with accompaniments that 
work with, with the blue I see yeah. on its own. That's a really yeah. good idea, and I love... So those are a few tips. Oh. Well, thank you. I'm going to try <laughs> out one soon. Um, and, you know, I, this book really changed my opinion because I always thought with really, really amazing, um, unique artisan cheeses, I, I thought there was no better way to serve them than just as they were, um, this carefully crafted product. But you have a lot of great ideas for cooking with them, Slightly, um, and then you know, just serving with them in in a salad, in a lasagna, in a grilled cheese. I love this ricotta asparagus souffle. Also, oh, yeah. never would have thought of that. Cottage cheese dumplings. Um, some really good ideas that that are just so delicious looking. Um, and uh, tell me a little bit about uh, this fromage blanc making uh, instructions here because. Uh, I, I, what is fromage blanc? This well, is a cheese yes, you can when, make. When at we're home. writing this book, you know, we don't want people to think if they buy it, they can learn how to make cheese. Uh-huh. But they can learn how cheese is made. So okay. So there's a difference, right? So we did put one recipe in for making your own fromage blanc. Yeah, that's the one. And that is just a really easy way to illustrate all cheese making, you know, the separation of, of curds in whey. Mm-hmm. And it is a simple recipe. We use a buttermilk as the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, fromage blanc, uh, of course, means white cheese, and mm-hmm. it's the simplest cheese to make. It's like a fresh cow's milk cheese. fresh, and uh, you eat it right away. There's no aging. So it's similar so, to a fresh mozzarella or ricotta? Well, no, because those are cooked curds. Oh. These are, this is a fresh, uh, long-set curd. Uh, so you set it as you would a yogurt the night before with your cultures and, and keep it in a warm environment. In the morning, it looks like yogurt, it's, you hmm. know, set like yogurt. You scoop it into a cheesecloth sack and Strain let it drain it. for yeah. four or five hours. And then, um, Salt it, and we have a secret ingredient that we put a little bit of creme fraiche in. At I that noticed point. that. Yeah, <laughs> just to give it a little flavor. Yeah, and a little, you know, smooth out the, the curd. Oh wow, I didn't know that. So that that's the first mm-hmm. uh, cheese I learned to make, and that's kind of how we explain the the categories of cheese as um, we follow our story of how we learned to mm-hmm. make the different styles. What. So you first learned about the, um, I guess, the fresh cheeses, uh, so fromage blanc and then ricotta, mozzarella, and then... Cheese, yeah. Yeah, feta. Um, and then the soft, young age cheeses, um, such as camembert. That sounds, that sounds very difficult with, um, with all the mold on it. Well, yeah, you do have to have the proper environment to grow the molds and to... Um, age them at the that at a high mind. humidity. Yeah, so they're a little tricky at home. But, yeah. you, know, you really have to build your own cheese-making room. <laughs> <laughs> That's another whole level right there if you're going to get into it. Yeah. <laughs> but you do have a great uh, tip on how to serve your camembert, which I never thought of, which was to slice it in half, um, uh, I guess height-wise, spread on some... Uh, sauteed wild mushrooms um, mm-hmm. and then 
plunk it back together and serve it like that. I love that idea. Well, the thing the thing is, um, you plunk it back together, and then um, you let you cover it in uh, plastic wrap, and put it back in the fridge, and the white mold will grow over that cut. Oh. So it looks like a, um, you know, it heals. Oh, and then, uh, It takes uh, a couple days, and then you can uh, really, it, it's a delicious kind of a party. Is that treat. how um, some cheeses are made with the layer of ash in between? They're cut and then put back together and then let to, allowed to heal and grow back together? Well, um, traditionally, the, the curd is drained, and then... Um, the form is filled halfway, and the the ash is applied, and then this form is filled to the top with the remaining curd. So the Morbier is that Morbier, tradition, yeah. and they actually did it in two parts because they used um, the curd from the morning cheesemaking and then the evening cheesemaking. Oh. And then the ash was put on as to protect the cheese as it from the air as it sat there waiting for the second half. Yeah, now that I think about it, the ash wouldn't really be for flavor or anything. <laughs> no, it's a, it's decorative. It is decorative. It, it does serve a, a function, but in the uh, Humboldt fog that Mary Keene makes at Cypress Grove, she used the uh, that beautiful style just as decoration, you know, mm. to make her little ash layer in the middle. Ah, fascinating. So you, you touched on uh, Humboldt Fog, and, and um, uh, you talk a little bit about the names of the different cheeses and how they can be the names of uh, Cowgirl Creamery's cheeses, for example, are um, similarly uh, fun, a little, a little, like, a little uh, playful, and they're just not what you would think of. Uh, they're, they're not something that easily comes to mind, like cheddar, or, or gives you an idea of what it'll taste like. Um, do you find that uh, explaining what uh, what a type of cheese is that you've made is a, is a big part of um, the fun of giving it a unique name? Yeah, you, in the you learning bring process? up a good point because, uh, you know, in Europe they are stuck with their traditions. I mean, their traditions are their their base, and we all learn from them. Mm-hmm. But they can't deviate. If somebody <laughs> lives in Roquefort and they want to make cheese, they make Roquefort. <laughs> you know, there's not a uh, acceptance of new cheeses. That's right. changing a little bit now. But, oh, okay. you know, that has been the... But it's so ingrained in the culture too. I bet it's not it's not done with as much glee and and uh, and fun and delight as the, um, you know, inventing new cheeses in in the land of the free. I know <laughs> of it's true. the free cheesemakers. <laughs> we had the cheesemaker from Vacheron come. You know, that's a very uh, stinky um, washed rind cheese okay. from France, and. Um, he came to see our creamery because he said it's impossible to make a triple cream washed rind cheese. It cannot oh. be done. And that's what we do. We didn't know that it couldn't be done. Oh. <laughs> so, what, what is the name of your cheese that's a triple that, cream? That one's called uh, Red Hawk. Red Hawk. And, All right. Yeah, it has a red uh, washed rind. And you did the so impossible. We oh. did the impossible because we didn't <laughs> I just know. See a picture. <laughs> <laughs> so what did he think of the Red Hawk? He was impressed. 
It's really? just delicious. Oh, Congratulations. That's... Yeah. <laughs> That's that's wonderful. Yeah, I mean, when you when you when you stick with a certain way of doing things, you might not realize that uh, that it's not impossible to to yeah. change it up a bit. So, what is your favorite cheese from Cowgirl Creamery? My favorite cheese is my cottage cheese, but right now we can't make it because we've had to um, re-engineer our cheese making room oh. and. So we had we suspended production temporarily, and I miss it horribly. But um, in the absence of my cottage cheese, I think I really love our Red Hawk. Yeah, that sounds like a unique one. Which is kind of on the other spectrum of flavor. <laughs> but, oh, but it's it's so. But I love all cheese. It it I I feel like it looks like one of the just one of those wonderful, exciting, different, unique cheeses. It has that cute, you know, kind of shape that is an individual and looks like it handmade. Um, mm-hmm. And it is handmade. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it just, it's an exciting cheese to have on your board. So, and I've had agree. it. It's delicious oh, too. Okay. Oh, <laughs> so, um, and uh, any last uh, favorite, maybe recipe in here or favorite way of serving cheeses that maybe not, not as is not in the book well i can say that my grandmother's cheese wafer recipe's in there it's a cheddar wafer that's a southern recipe mm. from georgia and it has a, a half a pecan on top i and saw that yeah a little bit of cayenne in there and so it really does it's very hard to stop eating these <laughs> cheese but great, wafers <laughs> They're a great holiday, uh, savory um, treat. You know, right. they're not a sweet cookie. And it looks and it looks pretty easy to make too. Yeah, it looks delicious. Well, thank you, thank you so much. That's about all the time we have for today. But thank you so much for your time and for the wonderful book. Um, check out cowgirlcreamery.com. Also, the Cowgirl Creamery Cooks book out from Chronicle just now. Thanks so much, Sue, and thanks everyone at Heritage. We'll see you next week on Eat Your Words. Thank you so much. Thanks. Oh, I like the way you do. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>